Hi, and welcome to MC Podcast, episode 14. Today on our podcast, we have in studio as my co-host, Kyle Vosberg. He's going to be talking about corn diseases and no-till and cover crops versus conventional till. We also had Jerry Hayes as an in-studio guest for a moment, just talking about different sprays and, and different herbicides and pesticides and fungicides. And then we had Matt Corzine call in talking about crop insurance. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Good morning and welcome to MC Podcast number 14. My co-host today is Kyle Vosberg. So Kyle, uh, welcome to the studio. Thanks for joining us. And and again, kind of just remind us of what you do here at MC. Yeah, well, it's good to be here. Uh, I think I'm almost a regular now. So uh, a regular on the podcast and a... Uh you know, partial superstar on the YouTube videos. So, uh, um, but no, it's good to be here. And, uh, you know, like I've said in the past, my job here is is related to agronomy and, and all things agronomy and the hybrid lineup and helping to build that. So. Good, good. And so we work pretty close together. Yep. Uh, you, you evaluate hybrids based on their agronomic characteristics. You're part of that whole process. Uh, I do. Uh, I evaluate hybrids based on their nutritional performance. And so then we kind of come together and, and bring those two parts uh, to make a whole. Yep. And and that's just part of part of what we do. Um, so uh, I do. I appreciate you joining me this morning. I will have to say though, there is um, one disappointment you have showed me here lately. Uh, we uh, went to Kansas with uh, some of the marketing guys. So on your recommendation, we stopped at a certain barbecue place in Kansas City. Um, expecting some out-of-this-world barbecue. I told the waiter that I was from Texas. He yep. automatically pointed to the brisket and burnt ends plate, and I will have to tell you, I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like it was uneditable. Unedible? Un- un- unedible. Yeah. yeah, like... Yeah, like unedible. unedible like which unedible, like they could have taken it back and changed it and made it a better barbecue. So, <clears throat> well, you could have. I yeah. could have. I could have edited it. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I mean, I knew yeah. how to make this better barbecue. So, um, so I did. I did want to express my frustrations with yeah. you on that. But, um, you know, growing up Central Texas, there's it's a different style barbecue. Yep. And um, and so you know, going to Kansas City, I just expected. I you know I knew it wasn't going to be. Smoky Moe's, Leander, Texas, yeah. barbecue. I knew that. I knew that going in. Um, and, and of course, it, it just wasn't, you know? Yeah. When the waiter told me that they only smoke it for six hours, no, I was like, nope, you, you, have, you, you don't yeah. have enough smoke. Not long enough, yeah. No, not long enough. And I think he led you the wrong way. I, like I said, I thought the spare ribs was their, their key to success. Okay. Um, but I... It was a little bit nicer. It was like I've said, there are you know two different kinds of barbecue. It seems like nowadays, especially with how popular barbecue's gotten, you either have the hole in the wall gas station. I would probably not eat here if I wasn't like fully engaged in barbecue. And then you have the places that are you know trying to establish a little higher end barbecue. And I think that's kind of where it falls under. And it it's good, but we've eaten at a lot. We've had a lot better barbecue out of this office than we have at some of the restaurants mm-hmm. we've stopped at. But yeah, and, and so my my uh, plan is to someday uh, take all of you northern folks mm-hmm. uh, on a road trip through uh, through Texas and get you 
get you some real barbecue. Yep. And and then you guys will know why I'm such a, a barbecue snob. Exactly. And then when I'm hungry halfway there and I get grumpy, you can stop at Whataburger. At Whataburger. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Exactly. Whataburger barbecue. I mean, that's that's a full week for me. And I've actually through so in my last three years, I've had serious agronomy training and yeah. then also serious barbecue training, both probably at the same level. Yeah. Um, and I think my barbecue tastes have actually are, are not as much Kansas City style as I thought. I, I'm not a big actual Southeast fan really either. Yeah. There's a place that we stop at in, in Chattanooga that yep. we really like. Um, I like I actually tend to like the Southeast sides a little bit better. Yes. Uh, a little less fried food down there, a little bit more vinegar-based barbecue down there. Um, I actually have really gravitated towards the places in the Midwest and St. Louis. I mean, I think those are, are two of the best ones we stop at. Yeah, and that's because you haven't been to Texas yet. Exactly. So, so there we go. There we go. So that's it. That's yep. all. I'm I'm dropping it there. <laughs> all right. I'm, just, yep, I'm, I'm dropping it there. Yep. So all right. So on the agronomy side, uh, Kyle, you know there there are several things with the weather, the way that it's been, um, and so diseases. You know, we're at a point now where um, where maybe corn's not quite showing disease yet, but what, what diseases do you think we kind of need to be looking for this year? What have you seen in the past? What What is your idea that this, uh, that this year's kind of setting up for? Yeah, so um, in the past and especially in the areas where, where we're, we seem to be prevalent, uh, you know, the dairy markets and whatnot of Wisconsin and the northern states uh, throughout the Midwest, I think uh, northern gray, um, northern leaf blight, and then and then gray leaf spot as well seem to always be two that guys are worried about. Um, it's it's one that's they're both extremely common. Guys tend to see them pretty often. Um, depending on your area and whatnot, they can be a little bit more extreme. You know, we see it a lot out in Pennsylvania where you yeah. have the valleys and stuff. And uh, but it it it's one of those things in in the silage market. I don't think it's as big of an issue as it is in the grain market when you're talking about uh leaf disease drying down a plant you okay. know prematurely towards grain okay. um especially if you're talking if, if you're starting to see uh gray and, and northern post pollination you know heading into silage chopping i mean unless it flips a switch it usually doesn't seem to be too much of an issue um but in the past so the past two years especially the first year i was really you know in agronomy and research and development it wasn't as much of an issue moving north but southern rust has become a, a serious issue the past two years. Okay. Mind you, there, there's apparently two reasons what I have been reading and, and talking to people in the industry about. One is is perfect environmental temperatures. Um, hot days, kind of balmy, uh, more moist, wet nights, which okay. we really haven't had right now. It's still pretty early. Um, but then also, because we've had such warm temperatures over the winter, uh, the bacteria and whatnot, the disease is actually overwintering farther north than it has before. Usually it overwinters pretty far south, and then weather patterns and whatnot move it up north. Um, and so guys in like Kansas and in this part of the heartland start to see it usually about end of June through July and August. And last year there was there were sightings of, of southern rust um, right about 64, which is here that basically crosses east to west right through Illinois. Yeah. Uh, we were seeing it like the second week of June, you know, which is extremely early, third week of June. Um, and, and southern rust can be pretty debilitating if it hits early enough. So so, so what, do we, what do we do about that? Um, so there's a couple different things. Obviously, fungicide application can always help. Um, a a pre-pollination fungicide cannot hurt if, if you feel that that's where it's at. Um, I've always kind of 
and there's you know guys who who will talk back and forth about it but anytime during pollination a fungicide is not a proper application time okay. um, especially because a lot of that stuff is oil based and anytime you get oil on on tassels and things like that and silks you're you're prohibiting or or stopping a plant from properly pollinating so if you're coming up to pollination or if you're coming up to half tassel half silk or whatnot uh, maybe talking to your agronomist or whoever's helping you run your cropping plan about maybe using a fungicide if you see southern rust or or if you're starting to see just some early signs of things too um, I know last year we saw some stalk rot in uh, in Minnesota that seemed to like really hammer them after pollination. I guess you know it wasn't one of those things that was seen early, and there wasn't a lot you know to be done at that point. But maybe talking about some stuff like that, um, and then also obviously crop rotation is one of the better things that you can do. Uh, maybe using a soybean, you know, in the next year if if that's possible. It's not always possible in the right. dairy industry. Um, so so things like that. And tillage can sometimes help a little bit too, which we'll talk about tillage today, but um, that can also, I think a crop rotation is a better option, uh, you know, non-chemical wise than would be to do, to do tillage. Okay. So then, then my next question is, are there some hybrids that are probably more susceptible to some of those diseases than others? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so we need to kind of be watching out for that, and, and your seed guy should be able to say, okay, this one is more susceptible, less susceptible. And one of those catchphrases in, 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 that we'll hear in the industry is responds well to fungicide. Yep. So what, what exactly does responds well to fungicide mean? So respond well to fungicide usually means that it might have a parent that shows some susceptibility to to a leaf disease. Um, and and that, that happens throughout the industry. Uh, the thing is, is, a lot of times you'll you'll have a parent line that uh, when you make crosses and hybrids, it, it seems to you know show a little less resistance to things like northern and gray and things like that. Sometimes gosses will will get thrown in there as well. Um, but the the thing is, is it performs so well when it does finish. Yeah. Um, and and these aren't and mind you, these aren't inbreds or hybrids that people are pushing that are just going to absolutely fall apart. You know. Uh, or that they don't have any, you know, back end yield, or they don't have any intactness, as a lot of guys say. It's just that they need a little bit more babying than some of your other hybrids. I mean, there are some workhorse hybrids that you can plant and and do your your normal herbicide and maybe a fungicide application, some insecticide, things like that, whatever you have to do, um, and you just let them fly. Yeah. But there are just a couple other hybrids. There are some in our lineup that feed extremely well that you just have to do a little bit extra babying. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, one in particular that I can think of. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think it's going to get leaf disease, it's, I mean, yeah. yeah, you you need to go ahead and spray right yeah. then. Yeah, don't don't wait. I and and so we we know that there are those that there are those hybrids out there. So with, with this, and I, and I know that at first you were talking more along the lines of you know with silage sometimes we don't have to worry, but in Wisconsin this past year we did see some leaf disease affecting some yield yep. and, and especially some quality. Yep. And and so you know in like I said, especially in those more susceptible. Uh, type hybrids that that we had. Um, in, in fact, I, I know that we did a, we kind of did a little feeding trial, and 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 we had the hybrid that was highly susceptible um, to uh, to leaf disease, and then we had a really pretty healthy hybrid. And and I can tell you, overall, that 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 hybrid that is more susceptible generally usually feeds better than most anything in our lineup. Well, because it did get early leaf disease and because it, it because they didn't get to harvest it quite on time, the hybrid that that tend to had that tends to have more health and in more late season health, 
that hybrid actually fed better this year. Yep. Okay. And and so so we we kind of need need to do that. But if we if we if we think about it, maybe even grain or or even silage, what kind of yield losses do you think that we can expect if we were just say, oh, I'm not going to spray fungicide, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to baby these hybrids. You know, I mean, what kind of what kind of end end problems can that cause yeah well i mean it's it's obviously a case-by-case basis the thing with leaf disease that we've noticed here at, at master's choice and with the guys especially kevin and i working in agronomy is um there are oftentimes it's kind of like a switch being flipped. I mean, you'll you'll go to a field and see that it's starting to set in. You'll see leaf disease really starting to become, you know, what you think is going to be an issue. And you can come back three, four, five days later. And I mean, you could have basically burn down yeah. or it looks like it's firing up is what a lot of guys will say. Um, and it is very case by case. And I guess the two biggest issues that, that the leaf disease causes um, – one being, as we said, it, it, it'll affect quality and yield because anytime a plant stops photosynthesis, which yep. is what leaf disease does, you're going to run into those problems. And number two, I think the I think the yield loss comes more from the harvest timing issue because your harvest timing becomes off. Yeah. Um, the 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 moisture in the plant and grain is is completely mismatched. You know, you you want the grain and plant to to dry down, you know, at their proper timing. And if you have a plant that's drying down, but a grain that hasn't finished, you know, it's 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 all a mess. I mean, you you get into a really bad spot. And that's why, especially in silage, because moisture and things like that are so so important to to yes. fermentation and and being in silo and 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 things like that. Um, that's why if you see it early in silage, you really need to be on it yep. on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. Need to, need to be spraying that. Need to be thinking about that. Need to be could, watching that harvest window a little bit closer. Yeah. So for sure. So you mentioned earlier that we were going to talk a little bit about tillage today. And so, um, you know, we, we have, we kind of have these different camps in, in, in the U S and in the farming industry um, we have these camps, tillage, no-till, you know, and, and then some guys try to ride the fence. Well, I just, I limit my tillage, right? You yeah, know? yeah. And, and, and so... Minimal till. Mi- minimal Min- till. Yeah, Min- yeah. Minimal till. Yeah. And um, which really makes nobody happy, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or either side, you're just kind of yeah. stuck there in the middle is what I really mean by that. But talk talk through that for a little bit f- with us. Just talk through us the pros, the cons, the goods, the bads, the uglies about no-till, conventional tillage, all of those things. And, and just, you know, definitely just express kind of your opinion on these things. Yeah. So, so no-till kind of came from the, from the environmental side. Um, there have been a lot of studies about soil erosion and soil loss and how that affects U.S. farmers or global farmers, actually. Um, where, where is our soil going? Uh, it, the thing is, is it's, it's running off. It's, you know, it's, it's entering our lakes and our streams and our ponds and things like that. That's where soil is, is going to. Um, and, and I think agriculture has, has grasped it, grasped it in a couple different ways as well, um, with, with, uh, weed control, um, with some other measures and things like that. Uh, there's a simplicity to no-till. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're moving forward. It's, it's the fact that if, if we're not tilling, if we're not turning the ground over constantly, then we're not losing soil. I've, I've heard some, I, I don't re- exactly remember the numbers, but I've heard some pretty astronomical numbers of the amount of inches of soil you could actually lose um, in conventional tilling methods. But I think it's kind of becoming, I think it was more of an area by area basis. I think a lot of areas grasped it. And there were some areas that said, no, we're going to stay. I mean, 
you know, Michael Lake is, is, is a perfect example. Great guy works here. I mean, I've, I've become really good friends with him, but he is from an area of the country in central Illinois where everyone tills, everyone turns the ground over. There's not one farm up there that probably doesn't own a chisel plow or, or something. I mean, every single year the ground gets turned over. I mean, they might run a crop rotation. That's very common, you know, because of the, the row cropping lifestyle there, but uh, to talk no-till to guys up there, I mean, you'll get laughed off a farm, you know, and, and that that's kind of the thing. That's that's the way they've always done it. Yeah. And, and I don't when, think they've bought into it. when you have six feet of topsoil. Exactly. You know, it Good makes... tomato growing weather. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the topsoil joke never gets old. Yeah, yeah but, never, never, yeah. never. So, um, you know, I, you, we could see that. So. Yep. So, but what are what are the so what are the pros and the cons? What I mean, when when guy says I'm going no till, I'm doing it to save soil. What what other things is he is he using no till foil for? So, depending on what way you go into no till, like if you have a cover crop that you're mowing down or you're burning down or whatnot or any type anything that any residue from the year before you're leaving over is gonna basically create a mat. Um, as a weed barrier. So, okay. you know, a lot of times and we've talked about triticale or uh, some wheats or barleys or whatnot, or anything that you mow down as just s- simply a cover crop that you mow over will, will lay a mat down that you would plant into um, and therefore stopping sunlight from causing a lot of weed pressure and a lot of early season weed growth. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one side of it. Okay. But so, so you, you kind of switched there. We were talking no-till and now you're talking cover crops. Yeah. Right. Now are, are those things synonymous it seems to be. I mean, I've I've kind of noticed that the guys who are no-tilling are, are usually into a cover crop method. Um, okay. And I think that they're kind of, I think it's becoming a program almost. You know, it's it's uh, it's more of a uh, nutrient management program in the soil than it is a uh, an agricultural practice, I think. Okay. So, um, but even just guys who say do, you know, a, a soybean or a corn crop, um, you know, the, the opportunity to have, you know, the residue from the year before sitting, um, and anytime you're kind of not really breaking up nutrients and allowing things to move throughout the soil, uh, you're keeping a lot of nutrients right there in a, in a no-till situation. Um, and then all, obviously soil erosion, um, you know, anytime we're not losing any of the topsoil or any of the stuff. Uh, any of the important stuff, um, it, it's good. And I think in the past with with tillage, there's always been this thought that um, if I till and I have a proper seed bed, I'll have I'll have good soil to seed contact, and and I'll have good early season growth. I think there's a mindset behind that um, that well, if I'm just planting into a no-till, I mean I'm just kind of it's just you know whatever happens happens. If it if it has good soil to seed contact, I'll have germination, it'll grow. But if if I you know if I work it over, I can guarantee that I have good soil to seed contact too. Okay, so. Okay, so what are so what are the what are the disadvantages of no-till? Of no-till? Yeah. There it it's tough for me. I don't think there are many disadvantages to no-till. Um, I think that there I mean obviously there's a little bit of an equipment. Um, I mean obviously you'd need a no-till planner and whatnot. There are a couple little changes you would have to make to your operation. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of a change in mindset um, than it is anything else, you know, trying to get get past all of that. So um, and I think that with no-till, a lot of guys who no-till are into crop rotation. So, like, one bad side to no-till, in, in my personal opinion, is, is a guy who does corn-on-corn no-till. Okay. Um, because with corn-on-corn no-till, a lot of times you see significant leaf disease issues because okay. leaf disease, 
the, the bacteria and, and things like that live in the soil. And they live over the winter in the soil, depending on the temperatures that you have throughout the, the winter and, and late fall, early spring. And so when you don't till and you don't move that bacteria around, you don't give it an opportunity to, to be removed from the soil and you don't use a crop rotation that will hinder uh, leaf disease and things like that, you tend to see a lot more. So anthracnose stalk rot is one of the one of the best examples. Without a proper crop rotation and in a no-till situation, it can actually thrive in a field of corn on corn. Okay. So, so what about those guys who would say, uh, you know, if I if I use conventional tillage, I can get rid of weeds without having to use burn down or chemicals or anything. Is there any, you know, is there any disadvantage of of, of burn down of of, of having to spray herbicides, you know, uh, to, to kill that cover crop? I mean, is there any cost disadvantage for that? Well, yeah, I mean, well, one, there's obviously the money factor. I mean, you're, you're adding more, uh, more inputs per acre when you're talking about a spray down, um, especially on a, on a tillage program, uh, because you've already spent money, obviously, on fuel. Fuel is a big deal, especially for the larger farms. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a lot of man hours, a lot of tractor time, you know, for some of the bigger acre farms and whatnot. Um, and then to have to go back in later and run a sprayer over top of it. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of a big deal, you know. Um, and so in any time and you've broken up the soil and then now you're moistening the soil. So you're almost creating a compaction issue year after year. Um, and that's what we've seen a lot of times with with tillage methods is, is compaction issues okay. um, where we've seen just soil that's just compounded every single year and it's it becomes difficult to plan into um it becomes difficult for moisture to uh, release itself throughout the soil um you see a lot of ponding and puddling issues and things like that so it's it's just another downside yeah and it's, it sounds to me it's kind of a perpetuating thing if yep. i if i start with this tillage and i don't and i you know it takes me a little while to to get over that compaction even with even with cover crops and and no-till you know, it's almost like I've got to keep tilling to to, to break up yeah. that compaction. Yep. When in, in essentially you're not. Yeah. You're not at all. You're making it worse every year. So, which, and I think there's almost a happy medium when you're kind of, there, there are guys who just flip a switch and are like, well, I'm no-till now. I just want to do it this way. I think there's more of a, you need to work yourself. That's where the minimal till guys kind of yeah. work in. Like, maybe not chisel plowing all the way down into the subsoil, you know, uh, right. you know, maybe just kind of loosening up your topsoil before you plant and whatnot and, and moving slowly into it year by year um, instead of just, you know, straight up no-till right now. And, and it's kind of a transitional thing, I think. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I, I just, uh, you know, we, it seems to me, at least in this area, we, we see a lot of guys going more, uh, more no-till and, yeah. and cover crop. Why do you think that is? I think agronomists are getting in their head, <laughs> but honestly, uh, it's a soil nutrient thing. I mean, I, I can, I can tell you time and time again, uh, reading soil lab analysis and things like that. I can tell you guys who do proper crop rotations. I can tell you guys, um, who are doing, uh, the right things to, to build organic matter. I mean, I showed you one a couple weeks ago, there was a guy in Minnesota who had a, an, an incredible organic matter yeah, number like five percent yeah it was yeah and the reason is his practice it's actually a small little field that he really dedicates to to you know doing plots and doing things like that but he actually uses cow manure and every time he has a fresh 
you know, load of cow manure, it gets turned into the soil. And that's why his organic matter is so high. He also runs a cover crop in the winter. I mean, it's a 10 acre little plot that, that he does. Um, but it's a perfect example of land management, whether it's 10 acres or 10,000 acres, it's a perfect example of, of maximizing soil efficiency, uh, to get what he wants out of it. Um, and, and he's, he's made, I, I talked to his dealer before and said that he makes jokes about the guys all around him who just toss money into inputs and, and his little 10 acre, and I understand it's just 10 acres, but can yield with anybody anywhere around him, no matter what they put in input wise. And all he's doing is turning manure over, running a crop rotation and running a cover crop in the winter. Yeah. That's it. So. And, and, and he's, and he's. And he's got really good soil. And, oh, yeah. And, and he's got minimum inputs. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So speaking about minimum inputs and, and those kinds of things, we're going to have Jerry Hayes come in as a guest. Jerry Hayes is in charge of our uh, MC Ag, yep. where it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a division of, of Master's Choice where where they sell some chemicals, they sell some seed here locally, they, they were do, they're doing some of our, our production down here, and, um, and so he's going to come in and he's going to talk about some of those things. Jerry, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you coming in. Yeah. So tell us uh, uh, just a little bit about MC Ag, and then tell us a little bit about your, your role there. Okay. Um, we started MC Ag here probably about two and a half, three years ago uh, in Ullen, Illinois, it's a it's a sister company to Master's Choice, and MC stands for Master's Choice Ag, you know, MC Ag. And uh, we are a retail business there. We sell corn, soybeans, chemical. We uh, do custom application. Um, we, uh, you know, do fungicides, foliars, uh, all kinds of different applications as far as our custom rigs. And we also sell it to farmers that want to apply their own, okay. you know, applications. But uh, And we give, you know, recommendations on different levels. And uh, that's beginning to be a lot of my job right there is to going out and meeting with farmers and giving recommendations and, and spending time with the guy, Good. you know, and, and just to let them know that we've got their back. You know, Good. basically. And, and so the, so MC Ag was kind of birthed out of uh, when we were doing production down here. We were doing so, we're still doing some production down here, some seed production. Right. And, and so we had all this equipment. We had all this time. We ha- you had all of this knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so we thought that, that maybe we could expand to be able to sell some stuff here uh, regionally, mm-hmm. locally, and then, and then with all of this expertise. Yes. And, and I mean, it's, 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 been, it's been a very good business force. I mean, we've blossomed quite a bit here. And, uh, I mean, we've acquired several growers and, uh, several, um, you know, different lines of products that we're, uh, you know, doing other than just seed corn. Yes. I mean, we're making more touches with the farmer. Definitely. They know that we're there for them and, and, and they're, they're being very responsive Good. with that. Uh, Good. So we're, we're kind of at a, at a point here. We, you, you, I knew that y'all were spraying a lot. We've got a, we got a, YouTube video of burn down mm-hmm. uh, with Jordan and y'all were spraying a lot then. Are are the spray rigs still rolling now that corn is kind of up? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just now we're starting to do a fungicide. Well, we're supposed to start today, and it's it's raining uh, here in Southern Illinois, but uh, we're supposed to start today on a guy that's got 500 acres of corn that uh, we're going to put a fungicide, insecticide, and uh, foliar feeding on his corn at this time. And it's about 10 days away from tossel. 
Okay, about 10 days away, so pre-tossle. Mm-hmm. So are you kind of seeing a, a gap in growers as guys who, because as people have watched, you know, we had a, quite a bit of rain there a few weeks back. Yeah. Are you like kind of seeing a gap between the guys who were in the ground before the rain and the guys after? So the guys after the rain are obviously probably still, you know, doing their atrazine and their post-planting herbicides, and the guys who were in before the rain are actually looking at fungicide and, and insecticide because they're heading towards pollination. Yeah. Well, last Friday we, uh, we sprayed a field at uh, – corner is probably about two or three leaf collars and put the final uh, post application of chemical on it okay. and then today you know we're going to start on a guy that's uh, 10 days away from tossing yeah, you, right, know? Right. So, yep. <laughs> you yep. know so i mean there's a wide variation there and yep. then we've already started doing a little bit of post spray on beans uh, right now so uh, still doing a pre on some beans and and burn down but uh, we we did start this last week on a post wow on soybeans wow wow interesting interesting so um I want to just uh, kind of mention foliar feeding for a second. You talked about that. How many guys, are, are there a lot of guys that are starting to look at the benefits of foliar feeding? Yep. Uh, there's a lot of guys that's, uh, there's, they're seeing the benefit from foliar. I mean, you're feeding the plant. You're not feeding the soil. You're feeding the plant. And the, and the, the soil, I mean, we do, a, we do a soil sample on most guys. I mean, there's a lot of guys that we don't get to do soil sampling on, but, you know, we're shooting in the dark air. But, I mean, it gives us an idea. It's a guidepost, a soil sample is. That's all it is. But we're seeing a trend where guys are going more and more to a foliar application because they're realizing that the dry fertilizer that we put out there, that we can put out there year after year after year, it doesn't change our soil okay. uh, test. We're, you know, we're doing a foliar application. We're feeding the plant, and they're seeing that the benefits a big bump out of their yields that way. Okay. So, so what what kind of, you know, what kind of things are we are we foliar feeding? I mean, are we foliar feeding nitrogen, N, P, and K? I mean, is, what what are we what are we foliar feeding? Very little nitrogen in, okay. in, in some of our stuff, uh, and you know, mostly it's a uh, micronutrients and stuff okay. like that. Uh, that and, and, and you know, I, I mean, there's a long list of different things in our stuff, and there's some stuff that they don't mention. You know, they they, they don't want to give all their secrets, all away. Their secrets <laughs> away. Sure, but uh, there is a. I mean, it's a it's a good combination, and we work with this company, and I don't know if we can say our companies that we deal with here, can we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ag Spectrum, and uh, and they've been around the business for all oh, forty years now. And they've they've got a lot of uh, research and development on their their products, and uh, it's been tested over and over again. So I mean, it's 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 a product that I, I feel comfortable with. Sure. And and there's a lot of products out on the market. There there's a lot of good products out on the market. And I've just got acquainted with these guys, and and they, their technical support is is awesome to deal with. And and just like a farmer, I mean, they've got my backside as well as I got the farmer's backside. Good. You know, we're trying to help each other. Yeah, you know? definitely. And no, and yeah, you can always mention who we're working with. So there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no problem with that. No but, problem with that. But, you know, and, then, and, and like I say, we're feeding the plants. Okay. And that's, that's the main thing. And you talked about fungicide a while ago. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer anymore, especially with the weather conditions that we have. Seems like we've had wet uh, seasons ever, ever spring for the last four or five years and fungicides will pay year in and year out you could put it on a crop for five five years consistently and i can guarantee you four out of the five will pay your benefits uh, out of that so so when when do they need to be applying fungicide uh well they need to be scouting their fields for one thing and make sure that they're it it, it, when there is a first sign of any kind of a uh disease out there i would apply fungicide i mean 
naturally the bigger your plant gets the the, the more contact that you make with that plant that the, the better more benefit that you're going to get on it okay. but you know there could be a you could have a disease early in the season you know and and you need to apply okay and 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 we've got some fungicides that's you know it's economical and then you've got some that's that's a high dollar so you know? I'm, I'm gonna see i'm gonna see if kyle knows his stuff here <laughs> all right so i'm gonna lead into this question all right is there a time that you should not a, a period that you should not be applying fungicides uh, yeah okay all right uh, because a lot of your fungicides has an oil base in it all right and if you apply it during pollination you will yeah. kill that pollen okay point kyle point kyle kyle <laughs> kyle so so this Almost means word for so, word said that yeah, yeah. absolutely he uh, did so so we'll take his fungicide recommendation but we will not take his barbecue restaurant recommendation <laughs> yep. anymore Okay, because Fair we, we, deduct, we deducted points for that, but yeah. that's a... That's Only a, one of those knowledges pays my bills, so <laughs> let's <laughs> exactly. go with that one. Exactly. But there is a, there is some fungicides out on the market that's not an oil base. Okay. It's a water base, and you can get by with it, but studies has proven that you're better to leave it alone. Just better During to that, leave it alone. Yeah. Wait, wait till after. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You try to get it before or, or, or after. Wait, or yep. wait till after. Yep. So that, that makes good sense. That makes good sense. Um, so we talked about fungicides. We talked about foliar uh, feeding. What other chemicals are you seeing a, a, a really good benefit from? Insecticide. Know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer to me. I mean, if you're making a pass across the field with a fungicide or anything like it, throw insecticide in. Okay. I mean, I, I, I had a guy last year just put insecticide in on his beans and got a 10-bushel bump. Wow. I mean, he did a side-by-side comparison, and, and, you know, that. I mean, that's a kind of a no-brainer there, too, you know? No doubt. No doubt. And so, I mean, you know, you can spray some insecticides for as cheap as a dollar and a half an acre, and well, you get 10, 10 bushel bump, man. You, you've increased that by, <laughs> exactly. by tenfold almost. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's very, very beneficial. Be- beneficial to. Okay. I, I think leaf disease is a little easier to scout than insect pressure, also. And that's mm-hmm. why guys kind of lack on the insecticide times. I mean, you can walk 10 feet into your field and say, yeah, I've got northern, and it's an issue. But you you got to really be looking for a lot of the insects and whatnot, especially when you start getting towards, you know, maturing grain and things like that. I think right. that's why guys seem to – and there's so many insect traits on the market. Guys seem to rely heavily on that. I mean, you know, they've gotten above-ground protection. There's no reason to spray insecticide. Um, which, well, that, at least that's what they think. Yeah, start exactly. to say that's, that's yeah. false. Yep, <laughs> yep. So. Because, I mean, unless they've got a – a smart stack or a Viptera or something like that, they're still going to get, you know, uh, Japanese beetles or whatever, you yeah. know, uh, clipping their silks. And, and then that and then that causes issues where, you know, earworms will come in and different things like that. So, yeah. I mean, they've, uh, you know, Viptera will control earworms or smart stack will, but it, it controls it, but it's you still will get a feeding off still of it. Still will get a feeding off of it. Mm-hmm. spray those. Good. Jerry, we really appreciate you coming in today, sitting down with us, kind of talking through these. Man, we got some good advice there, so appreciate you doing that. You're more than welcome. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. So, so Kyle, we really appreciate Jerry coming in today and sharing that knowledge with us about those chemicals, the things that he's doing this summer, the things that he's seeing, and those things he's trying to accomplish with farmers down here in this area. So so at this time, we're going to call in Matt Corzine. Matt's going to talk to us about crop insurance, how how that kind of works, how guys need to get it, how they need to use it, and those kinds of things. So we're going to have him. Uh, we're going to have him on the line right now. So on on the line with us now is Matt Corzine. So Matt, thanks for joining us. Matt, give us a, your job title and your in your job description. 
Okay. Uh, basically, an uh, agent is what I would call. Uh, just uh, my job is to uh, be a liaison, basically, from between the, the client and uh, the company that we sell for. Well, good. Well, good. Okay. So so you're you're selling crop insurance. So I guess one of the big questions is, why should a grower, why should a producer invest in crop insurance? Uh, well, basically, uh, uh, costs and, and uh, uh, trying to figure out uh, that's one of the few inputs that you can control the price on these days. So um, that's that's one of the main things we push is is that. And if you don't have insurance, you're, you could lose everything you have, basically, with the, the way prices are these days. So it's, it's, I kind of use the the thing you wouldn't not insure your house if you think you're not going to have a fire this year basically right right and that that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense so so the question is then okay so a guy says yeah this makes sense for me to get crop insurance how, how does he know maybe he's even got some uh but how does he know that he has enough i mean what what are the are there any are there any formulas variables there how, how does he know that he's got enough crop insurance well, uh, usually what we recommend is, is trying to at least cover what you, your expenses are. Okay. If you, if you know what your expenses are, then you can, you can kind of, you can look at the different levels of coverage we have and, and try and match it up according to that. Okay. Okay. And, and those, those different levels of coverage, are they like per field, per crop? I mean, how, how do you, you know, just, you know, how, how does, how does this kind of thing lay out? I mean, does he go, okay, I'm going to just cover this field or I'm going to cover all of my corn, or I'm going to cover all of my soybeans. I mean, h- how does a guy go about, you know, doing insurance? You know, if I if I get homeowners insurance, I know that that covers my house. But what about my, you know, what about the contents of my house? So, so you know, I mean, how how does he how, how does he go about doing that? How how does he insure a crop? Okay, well, you have to insure the the entire crop for the, for the county. You can't just insure it field by field. Okay. So, but you could do it by crop if you wanted to insure your corn. You could do that, and not your beans. That that's that's fine too. Okay. And now, is there is there going to be a, a, a price difference if I if I mean, can I just can I just blanket do my whole farm? Or yeah, but yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I just I was just wondering. I mean, can I just say I just want to cover my whole farm, or 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 do I you know cover like all of the expenses for just just the farm, or how, how do some of those things work? Yeah, there are. There's different types of policies. They, they do have what they call a, a whole farm policy, and and then you can also do certain, you know, just different by crop policies. The whole farm policies are, are something we, we don't deal with a whole lot. There's there's a lot involved. It, it involves, uh, you know, getting your your taxes involved and everything else because it, it has to do with if you have cattle or anything else. It's it's including all of that. Okay. So all all of your expenses are considered in in a policy like that. Okay, but uh, the crop policies is mostly what we deal with, and uh, like I said, you can. It, it's based on what your history is. Is how you start. Okay, your yield history or your expense history. Your yield history. Okay, and so you start with kind of this is what I typically yield, and I'm going to insure my crop in case it doesn't yield this much. Is that kind of the, the premise there? Yeah, basically, you would. You know, if I sit down with you, you're going to give me your history of what, what all you have. I mean, it, it could be up to 15 years, whatever you have. Okay. And they'll average that, and then that's that's what your, your what they call an APH, an actual production history. And that's what you start with. And then according to that history, you can take a level anywhere from 50 up to 
to, and that's that's where you're getting your guarantee for what we're guaranteeing you, at least bushel wise. Okay. Okay. So so let's say I take, um, let's just say my my history on corn is 150 bushels, and I'm going to say, okay, I'll I'll do I'll I'll do 50 percent of that. You know, I'll say if I, you know, so that would be. That would be seventy-five bushel is what is what I would be insuring for a guarantee of seventy-five bushel. So what happens if I if I get, you know, if I get twenty-five bushel? Do I do I only get in, do I only get the insurance policy for for fifty? I mean, how, how does that how does that claim kind of work there? Yeah, you, basically exactly right. If you if you're guaranteeing yourself seventy-five bushel, and you, at, at production time you only you only made twenty-five, the the insurance would cover the other fifty bushels that you were short okay okay so how how do i how do, how do i kind of go about knowing if if it's if i if i need to put in a claim i mean so so let's just say i i went for the 85 and i get you know uh i don't even know what that number would be but say i i get you know i i harvest 80 percent of what i typically do but i'm insured to 85 would it would it pay me would it would it be beneficial for me to go ahead and claim to get that extra five percent? Does that make sense? Would it be beneficial? I mean, the way I I think so. Yeah. I mean, if you're short what you're what you're guaranteed, then then I would definitely do it. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're you're paying the premium for it. That's that's if you get any kind of loss, we we like you know I, I, that kind of separates us from other types of insurance that don't want to pay a claim, you know, with crop insurance, if you've got a claim, they want to pay it. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. I didn't know if there were any rules that said, you know, if you were at a certain level, you know, so that, that makes good sense. Good. So I have a question concerning kind of master's choice. A lot of our guys are, um, you know, a lot of our guys raise corn silage. Can, can they Mm -hmm. insure corn silage? There's there's certain counties in Illinois that you you can actually just get insurance for silage, and the counties that don't offer that you can request with the RMA if uh, what a written agreement to to insure it as silage, but generally what we do in this area is guy just insure it as a grain crop, and it, when you cut it for silage, what they would do they come out and they'll do an appraisal on it. And then whatever whatever that silage appraises at is what they'll use against your guarantee. If there is no, you know, loss on it, then it just they just that's how they would get the production is just by their appraisal. But if it did have a loss, you know, again the appraisal would tell them, well, he's fifty bushel short of what he's guaranteed, and that's where your claim would come in. Okay, so so you can't necessarily just insure it as silage. You you, you would insure it as a grain crop, but but if you do chop it for silage, that's how they would they would come across with it. Okay. Okay, that that makes sense. That makes sense. So they would go out and say, so if I if I insured it for eighty five percent, they would go out and say, well, this crop was going to make you know eighty eighty five percent, so there's no claim there. Um, so that that does make sense. So what about some of these guys, Matt? What about some of these guys who would have, um, you know, maybe maybe they are livestock guys. They have corn silage, but they're going to go back in with uh, right after that corn silage. They're going to go back in with um, with like. Uh, a crop that they're going to harvest for more forage, say it's a triticale or a rye or something like that, that they're going to harvest in the spring before they put another crop on. Can they insure both of those crops? Uh, no, not necessarily. Like the, the only kind of a, a double crop situation we have is say, if you were, if you to plant wheat and if you plant soybeans after it or Milo after it, then you can insure those. Okay. But like you're, you know, you that kind of the the cover stuff they don't really insure that the rye and all that. Okay. 
Okay, but but you can't you can't insure. So if I go corn, I can insure the corn, and then if I plant wheat, I can in, I can insure the wheat, and then if I go double crop beans after that, I can I can actually insure all three of those crops. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Good deal. Good, Matt. Are there any other tips or or hints or anything like that that you would give uh, producers about uh, about crop insurance? Uh, yeah, I would. Well, I would say definitely keep uh, very detailed records. Uh, that's that's. I mean, it's kind of a pain in the butt to do that when you're busy out trying to work, but it it helps with claims and it just helps you know in the long run if you ever had any kind of review or anything like that. And as far as coverage wise, uh, a lot of guys will try. You know, oh, it's going to be a good year. I'm going to lower my coverage. I'm or it's going to be a bad year. I'm going to raise it way up. We would generally recommend find some place in the middle and stay there. You may not have a claim for three or four years, but then that fifth year you might have a huge claim. So it, it's going to kind of even out in the long run. Okay, good. That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Good, Matt. We appreciate you uh, calling in and letting us uh, pick your brain on uh, on these questions. And uh, and so we we appreciate that. Thanks for thanks for joining us this morning. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Matt. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Kyle, thanks for uh, coming in today. And uh, we appreciate all the all the knowledge that you dropped on us absolutely today. And uh, I'm glad that Jerry confirmed that you do know something. Yep. And so uh, even though you may not know anything about barbecue, <laughs> so anyway, no. Hey guys uh, out there, we appreciate you listening to us. Uh, we had a good time today. Hope that you enjoyed it. Always remember that we are social: YouTube, uh, Facebook, and uh, and of course uh, our MC podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.